0: 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. I'll read the, through it. If you've got the Bibles in front of you, follow along. If not, just listen. I'm reading from the NIV. You may have various other translations, but I encourage you, always keep going and looking at the word so that it comes alive to you directly, to you personally. And so when you read it, just as Mike was sharing, when you see these words, they are a means of you even worshipping. So this morning as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of... Power. what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with the rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Paul has been speaking about his relationship with the Corinthian believers in many different ways, all these different ways that he's describing in the first four chapters. But in this passage, in this, chap- in this section that we've just read, he gets very personal. He describes his relationship with them not in terms of an apostle and his followers, but as a father with his children. And he admonishes. He urges change. He even threatens discipline. But there is a tenderness, a sincere concern, an unconditional love that is expressed even though his children are speaking ill of him and have grieved him deeply. He is scolding them not to shame them, but to warn them. He is warning them because he cares about what happens to them. He gets their attention by speaking sarcastically of their boasting because he knows that pride will be their downfall. He wants to maintain his relationship with them and not disassociate from them, even though he knows that they have done so much that is wrong. He's not not saying to them, look, you have tarnished my reputation. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Because, you know, people would say, oh, these are the people that have been taught by Paul. This is the church that was established by Paul. Look at what they're doing. And so it would, it would tarnish his reputation. But he's not saying, I want nothing more to do with you. He says, look, I'm, I'm like a father to you. I'm, you are like my precious children. He wants to maintain his relationship. And he's not using these words, he's not saying these things as manipulative rhetoric. He's not saying, you are saved, you are blessed, you are dear to me. I have sacrificed everything for you, now do what I say. It's not this manipulation Right? Oh, you're so good, and I've been so good to you, now be good to me. This is not what he's doing. He is not saying all of that to exert pastoral control. Instead, he is pouring out his heart to express, to exercise pastoral care. Not control, but care. And so he is concluding what he has said so far in chapters 1 through 4, as he prepares for what's coming next. So this morning, I wanna consider this father-son relationship that Paul refers to by considering three important points. And by the end of it, I would trust you will hear very clearly that this is not just a message for fathers, right? This is for everyone. There, is, there are a number of different truths that come to us in the way that the Lord is expressing this. There's a strong parallel between the natural human father-son relationship and the supernatural or spiritual divine father-son relationship. It is not an accident that God describes himself as father just as he describes himself as husband. As human fathers, we are called to model the heavenly father. And so in all that we do, Even as we do this, since all that we do should be spiritual, that is led by the Holy Spirit, we have the means of learning from these spiritual truths and to apply those spiritual truths to all areas of our life. And to all our parenting. So this is not just specific to Paul as an apostle and the disciples that would follow him. This applies for all of us. And it applies for our natural and our spiritual parenting. So with with that in mind, let's get to the first point. A father's heart for his children is that they think and act rightly. A father's heart for his children is that they think rightly, for sure, but that they also act rightly, that they behave in ways that would be pleasing to the Lord, they behave in ways that would be honoring God. So as Paul teaches and disciples, and in this case, it's teaching and discipling the believers in Corinth, but just as much he is teaching and discipling all the believers in all the churches that he has gone to and he's teaching and discipling all the believers who will read and benefit from his epistles just like us so he's teaching and discipling all all of us collectively and for all of us he's not concerned just about what we believe what we think what we have in our minds what we give mental consent to but he is very concerned about how believers live And so, remember, from what we considered last week, that our living right is not based on what we think or what others think, but it is wholly dependent, it is defined by the word of God. So when he says that I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you to live right, he's not saying based on my standards. Based on my claim, based on my control. He's saying, I'm encouraging you to live right in the Lord based on the word of God. Not going beyond what is written, but being very much in adherence to what the scriptures teach us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Remember all of that from last week. If you missed that, catch up on that. But the word of God has to be our standard. It is what is our sufficiency. It is sufficient for everything. And it is our strength. So it is our standard, our sufficiency, and our strength for all of life and godliness. The word of God applies in that way. So he's saying to those Corinthian believers, live by the word of God, but apply the word of God. Not simply being hearers only so paul's desire is that his children those that he has shared the gospel with in such a way that they have come into the saving knowledge of the lord jesus christ he is desiring that his children would be holy unto the lord that they would obey the lord that they would persevere with the lord not give up but would run this race and would Finish this race. So it's not just about thinking in the mind, but also about living out the word of God every day in every way. And so for that, he starts to get into this topic of power. And when he says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, He's not talking about, he's not you know, about to say, when I come there, I'll show you what power I have. And he's not going to get there and you know, hurl thunderbolts at them and say, look at this, boom, you know, and then somehow that'll transform them. Or He's not calling down fire from heaven. The power, the Greek word dunamis that he's using here, the Greek word dunamis that is referring to power here is about the power to change. He's saying the power of God and the power of the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is to not any longer leave us in our sin or as slaves to sin, but to change us, to transform us, to free us, to deliver us, to cause us to live victoriously in Christ Jesus. That's the power that he is referring to. And he says that's the power that God is giving us. Now, if you're watching Marvel movies, you know, the superheroes, and I, I, I enjoy a good superhero movie, you will notice that most of the time they are doing all sorts of things, you know, with thunderbolts. You know, they do this and power goes out of the hams and you know hits the bad guy. And then they're but now, you know, as you watch these things, it's just gotten over the top. Everybody's just got so much power, right? They're all like doing all those things against each other. And you know, it's like power battles, right? more and more power, but you know what, unlike all these comic book superheroes who ultimately kill the bad guy, or at least banish the bad guy or something, they leave behind a lot of rubble, all that power that's blasting everywhere, it's destroying everything. You know what the difference is for us, as children of God? We're not engaging in never escalating battles of power, I'm more powerful than you, let me show you my power. Let me show you how close I am to God. No, we're not doing that. We are coming together to be gentle and patient because we are on rescue mission. We're not battling for dominance, for control. We're on the rescue mission, and we want, through that display of God's power, for the bad guy not to get killed, but for the bad guy to come and know Jesus, for the bad guy to be transformed. That's the difference in the power that we're talking about. We want the power of God to be manifest in people's life. And so, when Paul says, I want for you to act rightly, he's not saying, you know, try to do the right thing. Just, you know, grit your teeth and do the right thing. He's saying, look, rely on the power of God. Because the power of God can make a difference. The power of God can transform your life. And you, if you are living in these ways, Do you want me to come to you with power or with love? What is he saying? He's saying, do you want me to come to you and call out the fact that you are not living according to the word of God and by the power of God, you're trying to do things in your strength and you're falling short. But let me tell you that there is the power of God to transform your life. So, our desire for any of our communication Any of our correction, any of our counsel, any of our care should be to build up and not tear down. Most of the power battles in the world tear down. They tear down individuals or they tear down institutions. They tear down governments and nations. It's to break it down. You know what the power of God is for? To build up, to construct, to make whole, to give it life. That's what the power of God is for. And so when we speak, when we communicate, when we care, when we, com- when we do all of these things to bring correction even, our goal is not to say, oh, let me cut you down. Our goal is to say, let me build you up. Let me help you to stand. You're struggling, let me help you. Not, oh, you're struggling? Oh, we want nothing to do with you. Paul could have done that. Paul could have said that. He, said, I, he could have said, I disavow you, Corinthians. I taught you all the right things. Now I hear that you're doing these terrible things. I disavow you. He could have done that. Right? Nobody would have faulted him for it. But he doesn't. He says, I'm coming to you. And I'm imploring, I'm urging, I'm doing this. Why? Because I love you like a father loves the child. We never can force someone, including our own children, to do the right thing. You can't do it. As much as you may want to. That becomes paternalistic sort of fatherly love, where we think we can do that, just because of the position, or just because of the power, inherent power in in who we are. And we say, oh, I'm gonna force this person to do something. It doesn't work. Maybe temporarily, but it doesn't work over the long term. It has to be that we will be led of the Lord to present the truth with love so that as our children, spiritual, natural, as our children yield to the Holy Spirit themselves, they will live right before God. You can't make somebody live right before God. You can only keep pointing them to the Lord Jesus. You can only keep telling them about the Holy Spirit. You can only keep praying for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they themselves yielding to the Holy Spirit will live according to the Word of God so first and foremost the heart of the father a father's heart is to see that the children are not just thinking rightly but acting rightly by the power of God but then the second point is that the father must correct without provoking or embittering a father must correct without provoking in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. When Paul writes in that episode, we we looked at this a couple of years ago now, but he, he says in there, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When he writes that, he's not addressing the children. He's not saying, oh, children, be careful, your fathers may do something, you know. He's saying fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger because he understands and we should understand that it is possible for a father to provoke his children to anger. You may think that you're doing all the right things. You may say, oh, you know what? I'm right to be able to counsel them to do the right things. But if you're provoking them to anger, then you've got to say, Lord, what's going on? How do I step back from this? How do I make sure that I'm being led of the Holy Spirit? So Paul has that truth in mind when he's dealing with the Corinthians. So Paul does not provoke or embitter them. And you read through these epistles and he uses very hard language and he he's very firm with them and he tells them that they have to do certain things. But they are also hearing his heart and they're also understanding why he's doing this. And they're also understanding the love of God that's undergirding all of that and the mercy of God that is being shared. So he doesn't provoke them to anger and to be embittered, so embittered with him that they would reject him or his message. Message. They are at odds with him, they are conflicting with him, they are not respecting him, but ultimately, ultimately, and we'll see this in just a second, you know, he's, he's presenting a message to them that they are listening to. So he corrects them so that the transformative power of God is manifest in them, and then they pay attention to that message. Now, what, what happens with us? When we correct, Most often, when we correct, it is our anger or our fears that are manifest. When we correct somebody, whether it is a person in the family or outside or whatever, when we correct, we are angry that something has been done. Something has not been done. Something has been said. And so we correct in our anger. Or we correct in our fear. And we say, ooh, what will happen if this goes on this way? And we start to bring in some correction. We we correct based on what we think will happen. We're not trusting the Lord per se. We're afraid. And so then we start to do something. And we correct in those ways, both of which can then provoke anger and fear in the person that we're trying to correct, rather than provoking love, rather than prompting obedience. And so we see this, that... When we manifest in these ways, our children, spiritual or natural, sense it, directly or indirectly, and they respond in kind. Try it. Do it. You know, have an experiment. Try responding to your child with anger. What do they respond back to you with? Love? They'll respond right back with anger. You tell them, know, don't do this. They'll say, I'm going to do it. Right? You do that to anybody, and and it doesn't matter how old you are, by the way. You can be 2, you can be 20, you can be 80, it doesn't matter. You, You go to somebody with anger, they will respond right back that way. And so we provoke these things because that's what's happening in us. We're manifesting what's coming out of our hearts, and so we get that response. Then we're very indignant. How dare they do that? How come they did that? Well, fathers... Don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which means the discipline and instruction of the Lord has to be working in me. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord has to be in me in a a strong foundation. The discipline and instruction of the Lord has to be guiding my words and my actions so that I will present what is necessary. When we get to 2 Corinthians, we'll see that the Corinthians heeded Paul's warnings and counsel at least to address some of the most egregious faults in their midst. But Paul addresses so many areas in his epistles and corrects them about so much faulty thinking and doctrine and so many faulty practices and behavior. He talks about communion, he talks about in marriage, he talks about love, he talks about so many different areas in 1st and 2nd Corinthians that we don't know whether they addressed every area in full. But it is very clear it's very clear, however, that despite their differences with Paul, they were willing to receive what he said as being from the Lord. They recognized. They, didn't, they dismissed him. They said, oh, he's not a very good speaker. They, they talked poorly about him. They did all this stuff. Right? And he says, yeah, I know that you're saying these things about me. But they received what he said because they knew what he was saying was from the Lord. And so fathers and sons... The third point about the father-son relationship, and one that I think is what we need to really pay attention to and how it gets lived out in our lives, is that a father must set an example that his children can follow. Now, when you hear that, if you say, oh, I don't know. Listen to what Paul says in verse 16. He says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because I've come to you as a father. Therefore, because you're my children. Therefore, because I have loved you. Therefore, because I have been praying for you diligently. Therefore, because I'm willing to sacrifice everything for your sake. Therefore, because I will not abandon you. Therefore, because I will not disassociate with you. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Why? He's been a good father to them. And then in verse 17 he says, For this reason, Why? Because I'm urging you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son whom I love. This was not his biological son. This was not somebody to whom he could just control and say, I'm sending my slave to you. He will do exactly what I say, so I'm sending him. He says, I'm sending you my son. And what, what does he say? Who is faithful in the Lord? What will he do? He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Why am I sending Timothy to you? Because Paul is confident in his spiritual parenting, in what he has imparted to Timothy. He is confident that Timothy will demonstrate right Christian living. He is confident that when he says to the Corinthians, imitate me as... Imitate me in this just for now. He says, imitate me. When he says that, he's confident that if he sends Timothy, Timothy will be a good example of somebody who has imitated Paul. Right? So he says he is confident that Timothy will bear testimony of his right Christian instruction. And so as he does all of that, let me make one important statement regarding Paul's example. When we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, so here he simply says, therefore I urge you to imitate me, right? But when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, just a few more chapters down, he elaborates a little bit on this statement, and there he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The ESV version renders it, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say that right here in chapter 4, but clearly that's on his mind. In chapter 11, he makes that statement more explicit. So when he says this, he's not saying, imitate me as Paul. Imitate me in as much as I follow Christ. Meaning, imitate Christ. Imitate Jesus. So he's we... As we read this, we are called to imitate Paul or anybody else only in as much as they imitate Christ. If they're not imitating Christ, don't imitate them. There are plenty of people around the world who are influencers, and people are trying to imitate their dress, their speech, their whatever, their lifestyle, their whatever. But that's not what the Bible is telling us. It's not giving us the spiritual bigwigs who we should imitate. It says, it says, imitate them only as much as they would imitate Christ. Human beings are to point us to Christ. Human beings provide the practical, everyday examples that we can pick up with our physical senses. We see them, we hear them, we talk to them, we interact with them, and so we get what they are doing directly and so it becomes an example for us that is very relatable in the natural world, that we can relate to in our human, with our human experience. But our eyes and our ears and our hearts must be fixed on Jesus. If Jesus is not in view, if only this human being is in view, we will have missed the point of this word of God. We're not supposed to just imitate that person. We're supposed to imitate that person as they imitate Christ. So we have to have Christ in focus. We have to be able to say, Jesus did this. Jesus said this. Jesus thought this, you know, having the mind of Christ. And therefore, this person that has been doing that same thing, I can can look to that as an example, as an encouragement, as a means of saying, hey, I can go to that person and say, hey, how did you do this? How did you accomplish this particular thing? And they say, oh, this is what I did. Oh, that's good. I can imitate that. Right? I can follow where they went. I can imitate what their actions was. And as we say that, as we look at that, when I make that point that we need to look to Jesus and not to be looking at the human beings, that means that we have no excuse if the human being falls. If you look only to the human being, then when the human being falls, you'll say, "Oh my, I'm out too. But if you're looking to Jesus... And the human being is simply serving as an example. If the human being falls, you will still continue to look to Jesus. So we have no excuse. We can't say, "Well, you know, Lord, I came to you. I was following you. I was zealous for you. I came to the church every Sunday and to Wednesday night prayer meetings and to the, you know, the men's fellowship and uh, and what else? Family night. You know, I came. Ev- I came for everything. But then my pastor, oh, he did this. I'm out. No. We have no excuse. We have no excuse to do that, but rather we would say, Lord, because of who you are, because of what you did, I continue to stick close to you and close to your word and pay attention to what you are doing. You see, we can never make an excuse for our sin by pointing to someone else who has committed the same sin. Everybody's doing it. That person's doing it. What's the big deal? We can't make an excuse for our sin by pointing to somebody else. We have to look to Jesus who was without sin. That becomes the biggest and the most important place that we have to look to. And when we look to him, when we look to him, Jesus, we will find those that he says, here, imitate Paul as he's imitating me. Imitate John as he's imitating me. Imitate Mary as she's imitating me. And that becomes our encouragement, our way to move forward. Let me, let me state this about how we set examples. When we instruct others, when we counsel, when we try to share with them, we, especially our own children, even if we don't say this out loud, what we typically communicate with them is don't do what I do, do what I say. Do what I say, not what I do. Right? That's typically what we communicate. We may not say that out loud, but guess what happens? Tying back to that first point that I was making, it's not just about right thinking, but it's about right living. What happens, our actions speak louder than our words. And so consciously or unconsciously, We will imitate our fathers in terms of what they did more than we will adhere to what they spoke. We will listen. We will hear them. But we will imitate what they did more than we will adhere to what they spoke. You may have heard the expression, sometimes I open my mouth and my father comes out. Have you heard that? I've had that happen. I had that happen. I was doing something one day, I said something. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's exactly the way that my father would have said that. That was the exact tone of voice. That was the exact phrasing. That was, I opened my mouth, and my father came out, right? And my son has done that to me. He called me one time, and he said, Dad, I was in this conversation. I was talking to this person. I'm going through stuff. They asked me this thing, and I responded, and I thought, oh, that's exactly what Dad would say. I never coached him, I never said to him, when this happens and these people say this, say this like this, have this tone of voice, use these words, you know, and make sure to roll your eyes when you do it. I didn't say anything like that to him. But he said to me, you know, I opened my mouth and you came out. Right? That's what's going to happen. It's not what you think, it's not what you even say, it's what you do. It's how you behave that everyone around you is imitating. And so, maybe you didn't have an exemplary father. Maybe you didn't have an exemplary parent of any kind. Maybe you did. Maybe you had a parent, father, a mother, somebody who just was, I mean there wasn't anything that you could point to that you can even remember where you can say, oh yeah, not so good. 90% 90% but not, not so good on the other. No, you, maybe you had wonderful parents you know, to do that. But the question is not what your assessment is of your earthly parents, of your earthly father, but rather what will you do regarding your own life? No matter how old you are, no matter what stage, season of life you're in, what is it that you're going to do? Maybe you've made mistakes in your parenting to date. I have made plenty of mistakes in my parenting to date. But the question is, what's coming tomorrow? What comes later today? How do I live in such a way that I will continue to look to Jesus and I will imitate what Christ did so that I will be a father to my children in the way that God is a father to us? That's the important question, which brings us to our point of application. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living lives that can be imitated. I, um, as we've gone through these three points, I said this at the beginning, but I trust you realize that these three directives don't apply just to men. This is not just for fathers. This is not a Father's Day message, right? Just for biological fathers. These directives apply to every one of us, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of capability. And so, so I, and I would, I would encourage you once the message is posted, it'll be on YouTube, it'll be on our church website, you can get to it through our church app, you can do all of that. I encourage you, read it, or you can do the podcast, you don't even have to watch, you just listen to it while you're doing something else. And I encourage you, listen to it, and every time you hear the word father, just substitute your name, or substitute mother, or substitute, in, in so that it clearly comes across to you that this is not just for, oh, this is for my husband. This is for my father. This is for my grandfather. No, this is for you. This is for you. This word is for all believers. Because all believers, those who obey Christ, are called to go to every people group, to go into every ethnos, to go into every nation, every people group. That could be around the world. It could be in your neighborhood. We are called to make disciples of every ethnos and to engage in spiritual parenting. Every believer is called to do that. There's no, it's not for the pastors, it's not for the mature believers, you know, only, it's not just for someone else. It's for all of us. Jesus, without reservation, says, go into all the world and make disciples. That means that we are spiritually parenting somebody. We are looking for how we can pour into their lives to help them to grow and mature. We are looking to point somebody to Jesus. We are looking to say, I want to encourage you, and I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are in the business of spiritual parenting, whether you knew it or not. The only question is, what kind of spiritual parent will you be? you can be a poor spiritual parent or you can be a healthy good spiritual parent that's up to you but there's no option you're you're called to do that so we want to take these Lessons. We want to take these things that where Paul is speaking about these believers in Corinth in these ways, and where he says, I am as a father to you, and I've loved you as my dear children, and I'm coming to you in these ways. And do, do you want me to come and discipline you, or do you want me to just come with love? Do you want me to, you know, continue to sort of bear down on you, or will you listen to me? We want to take all of those principles and say, Lord God, help me. Help me to apply these truths with my own natural children, with my own spiritual children, with every single person that I meet so that I would be used by you to touch someone else for the sake of the word. Again, like I've said about other topics, when it comes to any topic, when it comes to submission, you have to learn how to submit first so that you can then have any authority over someone else. When you talk about this kind of parenting, you have to first learn how to be parented, how to receive instruction, how to receive correction, how to be disciplined by the Lord. And the the Bible says, what, what kind of God is he if he does not discipline us? Because he loves us, he disciplines us. So we have to be people who would receive that correction from the Lord. We have to be people who will receive the love of the Heavenly Father in all its ways. We have to be people who will sincerely and earnestly listen to our Heavenly Father. And in that relationship, through that relationship, because of that relationship, we can then help somebody else. We can help our children. We can help others and say, let me tell you about the love of the Father. Let me tell you about God. Let me point you to Jesus. So this this morning, I want to encourage you that, you know, as we are called to do this, as we are called to go out in this way, we often think of our spirituality and our spiritual example in terms of ourselves. But we really need to think about it in terms of our Father. Like Father like son, like father, like daughter. That we would say, Lord God, help me to reflect you so clearly and so powerfully with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, so powerfully that people can't help but be impacted. They can't help but be changed. They can't help but listen to this word and know who you are. Help me never to get in the way. Help my sin never to get in the way but help me to live a life where I'm imitating Christ so that they can imitate me in as much as I'm imitating Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. And this morning, Lord, we commit ourselves to it and say we want to apply this word. We want to let the word have root in us. Lord God, we want to be people who are like our Heavenly Father. And because we're like our Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are pointing people to you. Lord, when we look at people around us, we recognize in them behaviors, speech patterns, and even physical appearance that is from their parents. Lord God, help us to do the same. Let people look at us and recognize behaviors, speech patterns, and even the physical resemblance of who you are. Lord God, grant us grace for that. Grant us grace for that, that we would truly be those that are like our Father. Help us, Lord. Grant us grace to reveal the Father to all the people of the world so that even more would become His children. So that even more people around this world would be drawn into this loving embrace, would experience the compassion and love of a loving Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord God, so many people around us searching for so much, Lord God, are missing the greatest gift of all. Help us, Lord, to show them, to point them to the love of the Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your love, and for who you are.